really good guys. So, and ladies too. So get to know them whenever you can. We're going to resume our study of Elijah. Elijah is from Tishbe. God called him to represent him. Like one day, God said, Well, I want you to go up to King Ahab and tell him that there will be no rain until I says otherwise. So imagine King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they're leading this idol worship. Their main god is Baal. Baal is jack of all trades, fertility god, but also God who controls the weather. They need rain. The promised land is, is created in that way. You don't have rain, then you struggle. So you need rain. You depend on rain. So they were all worshiping Baal. And all of a sudden, God's prophet goes to king and says, your God doesn't have control. My God does. Yahweh will not send rain until he says otherwise. And for that declaration, he had to run for his life. He went to Kareth Ravine. He was there, and God sent birds to feed him. And then God says, I want you to go up to Zarephath. Stay with the widow. So God, he was there. Uh, the widow was taking care of him. And then God says, well, time is now for you to go visit King Ahab again. So he goes down, and he confronts Ahab and says, bring all the prophets, bring all the people to Mount Carmel. They had a contest. They will build the altar and offer sacrifice and, and see whose God would send fire to consume the sacrifice. Elijah won. And he went after the 850 false prophets and they were all killed. This was one of the moments that King Ahab cannot forget. But watch this verse as we read verse 1. This is what he says to Queen Jezebel. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. This isn't one of those where father comes home and he tells his wife, oh, honey, you're not going to believe what happened at work. It isn't that kind of conversation. It is more like a manager going up to CEO and telling him how the project is going. And when you're in that kind of relationship, you tell your CEO what he needs to know or what you're asked. You don't include a lot of other stuff because you want to make sure you don't upset your boss. Well, it's kind of like that here. As significant as 850 false prophets dying, what is more significant? Honey, our gods, they're not real. Yahweh is. He sent fire. Now he's sending rain. That would have been the highlight that he should have been focused on. Instead, he's reporting this to his wife, and he didn't want to upset her. In fact, it got her angry. It got her mad. Elijah was God's prophet representing God. When King Ahab hears God's message, he 
obeys. When he's by himself, he's able to yield to the prophet. But when he was with his wife, he was emboldened to do evil things. Not that he wasn't evil himself, but when two are gathered, they become even more stronger. So when he was by himself, Elijah tells him, gather people. So he did. And after slaying 850 false prophets, he tells the king, it's okay. Go and eat. Eat something because rain's about to fall. I want you to eat. So king goes and he has a meal. This is right after 850 false prophets died, basically in front of his eyes. Like, how can you eat after that? But this is what the prophet said. So he obeys. All these things, he doesn't tell his wife. And then uh, Elijah tells the king, okay, it's going to rain. So you're, you have your chariot. You, we don't want you to get stuck. So go down now before rain falls. And then he obeys. So all these things, he's not telling his wife because he doesn't want to upset her. So in reality, actually the queen was running the show, it seems. We know Elijah is not afraid of King Ahab. In fact, King Ahab, you know, he just listens whatever he says. But something will happen that will change everything. So this is Elijah that we know so far. All of a sudden, he's called, he obeys, he goes to Crith Ravine, you know, fed by birds, and he goes to Zarephath, you know, taken care of by the widow. He goes to Mount Carmel. He fights and fights and fights. He obeys God immediately and faithfully. This is what we know. But then it changes all of a sudden. Look at verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, those who died. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant, servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Where have we heard this before? So many prophets, they cry out to God, take my life. Enough is enough. Elijah praying the same prayer. This is Elijah who performed miracles. He brought widow's son back to life from dead. Elijah had enough. I call this spiritual meltdown. It comes suddenly. It could happen to any one of us, anywhere, anytime. Spiritual meltdown is real. We are one step away, every one of us. So we need to have this 
awareness that we are engaged in this spiritual battle, young, small, male, female, it doesn't matter. If you're a Christian, you are engaged in a spiritual battle. It's just how it works. It comes with the territory. When we become God's child, immediately we're the target. And whether we like it or not, we are engaged in it. What happened to Elijah? Was he so afraid of this evil queen? I mean, King Ahab, he just tells him what to do and he, he does it. So is that the queen? Is that the message, the threat? If queen really wanted to kill Elijah, why would, he, why would she send a messenger instead of a soldier to just get rid of him? It's kind of, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't add up logically. But she threatens him. And as soon as Elijah hears this, he's on the run. So he's always on the move ever since he uh, answered to God's call. So he goes to the king and then goes to Kirith Ravine. And then he goes all the way up to the foreign land, uh, Zarephath. And then he goes to Mount Carmel. And from there, he goes to Jezreel. This was pleasure. You know, it was business, Mount Carmel. But then to outrun King Ahab on his chariot, that was a pleasure. But then something happened. Queen gets upset, and Elijah is in fear, so much fear. He packs his bag immediately, and he runs from Jezreel all the way down to Beersheba. And then some. So, from Jezreel to Beersheba is about 100 miles, give or take few. Remember, this was when the nation was divided, northern kingdom and southern kingdom. He was part of the northern kingdom. So he went all the way down to the southern tip of the northern kingdom, but he kept running all the way to the southern part of the southern kingdom, Beersheba. That's where civilization ends. But then he goes a little bit further out into the wilderness. All the, t- all the while, looking back, is she coming? Is she coming? He runs and runs and runs. He doesn't even stop by Jerusalem. You would think, God's prophet, your life is in danger. Would you not stop by the temple and pray? No time for that. He kept running and kept running and kept running. What was he so afraid of? Was it really the queen? He wasn't afraid of the king. Why the queen? I believe Elijah was running away from himself, running away from God. He basically set the table for God. I obeyed you, God. 800 false, 850 false prophets, they died at Mount Carmel. I outran King Ahab. Table is set for you, for you to reveal yourself to the king, to the queen, to the people. This is when we get that revival that we've been praying for, right? Where is the revival? Where is the repentance of the people? That Mount Carmel incident, that should lead to the national revival. God, isn't this what you wanted all along? How come you're not doing your part? He was in fear because not everything is working out according to his plan. 
as far as he understood God, this God, my God, that's what his name means. Yahweh is my God. My God should have done this. And all of a sudden, it doesn't work out like that. And then he doesn't know what to do. God doesn't always work out the way we think it should work out. He doesn't work like us according to our logic. We need to throw away our logic. When we serve God, when we obey God, first thing we need to get rid of is our logic, our predisposition, all those things, our methodology, all those things. Yes, we have gained some knowledge and wisdom. We have experienced things, so we know this, this, this. Well, when you serve God, it changes. Every situation, every ministry, every person, God works differently. All the while, the goal is the same, to make himself known. But the methodology is different all the time. It doesn't work, work according to our logic. This is the first time Elijah encountered that. Well, who is my God? I can't stay here. Wait, this is out of my control. I need to run. In one breath, basically, he runs all the way to Beersheba. And then he leaves his servant, and he goes to the wilderness by himself. He needs to sort, sort this out. He's running away from himself. He's running away from God. His conclusion, enough. You know, I gave you everything. Enough. If you're going to be like this, just take my life. I mean, that's what I'm reading. As you serve God, I wonder if you have one of these moments. I'm serving faithfully. I thought you would take care of all these things. If I focus on you, if I serve you, you should take care of my family, my children, my business, my career. How come it doesn't work like that? Then we struggle because it doesn't make sense. I thought this is what the Bible says. That I serve you and you take care of me. How come this doesn't work out? There's a trend going on um, among churches. Of course, my observation is limited to ethnic churches, but I believe this is also applied to Caucasian churches too, but more so with uh, ethnic churches. You know, large ethnic churches, they attract a lot of young people. Initially, you know, college students, young professionals, and they have dynamic worship. You know, all the things that we could think of is there. They have the resource. They have gifted people leading this and leading that. So they have all these things, the creative Bible studies and, you know, ministries and all those great things. But then time comes when they have to wrestle with God and the reality. And God that they knew somehow it seems as if God changed. So they don't know what to do. So they look around and they ask their friends, hey, if this is happening to me. Do you know anything about this? They go, oh, no. Because they're all peers, like same age almost. So initially, these churches, they thrive. And some are still growing. Praise God. It's God's work. But then, these churches are now struggling because now they have to wrestle with real issues. 
you know, up until that age, you know, you're going, going, and you're okay. But then you get married. Sometimes some people get, you know, unfortunate separations and all those things. And you go, why is this happening? I'm a Christian. And they don't know what to do. So they're now looking for some churches with multi-generations. People who have some wisdom to impart. People who could put their arms around and pray with them. Not just their friends. They're important too. The churches, we, we just cannot serve God the way we think is the proper way. Often we want to do this and we want to do that. And that is we want to get together, we want to create this relationship and do fellowship, and then we want to go to God together. Often that's how people leave church. Because when, you, when we do this, sometimes Jesus is not the center of that relationship. It often is, but sometimes it's not. Because we, we focus on this relationship so much, you know, one another, we don't want to offend each other, we want to just be good, 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 good. But then there's some, you know, void in that relationship, and, and then something happens in that relationship, and then you go, wow, then you leave church. Because Jesus, at that time, is not the focal point. So we all have to pursue God individually. We go to God as a family, and, but then as we do this, we will be drawn closer to one another. This relationship will go up and down. But then because we all fix our eyes on God, we will be able to maintain this relationship. We will grow in God's grace together because God is the focal point. But we often want to do this and then do that. Because doing this just doesn't seem right. This is a better way. We create these things. Well, Elijah was in one of those boats. I know my God. God is, Yahweh is my God, and I know you. You're next. Well, you are letting your faithful servant die in a hand of evil queen? This doesn't make sense. Well, I'm going to run first and ask questions later. This is what Elijah is doing. This is God's response. Verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. So this broom bush or a juniper tree, according to King James, anyway, he found some shade and he's just exhausted. Like many of us today spring forward, right? <laughs> anyway, he's just, he collapsed. He traveled 100 10, 20 miles or so, right? He collapsed, and he's depressed. He doesn't know what to do. God sends his angels. They wake him up. Hey, eat. This isn't like Elijah, I know. I understand. Here. It's part, it's part of it. We cannot miss God's reminding Elijah. Yes, you've been faithful for the past three and a half years, away from your family, serving me, serving my people. 
But you know, I was with you all that time. I'm the one who sent birds. I'm the one who provided your needs through a widow and her son. I'm the one who was with you at Mount Carmel. Remember? I am also here with you. I will take care of your needs. I know you. I know what you have done. I will take care of you. Maybe not exactly the way you want me to, but I will take care of you. This is God's reminder. Verse 6. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. I mean, imagine how he would have enjoyed this meal. Like bread cooked on a fire. You know, that's going to be good. <laughs> and fresh water to drink. When you're famished, it's the best meal, right? So he had this delicious meal. And still tired and exhausted. But he doesn't go back to sleep. No, it's like too much to go to sleep. He has too much information. He needs to sort this out. That's what he's doing. He gained some energy, but he wanted to rediscover this God. Like, who are you? Why are you allowing me to experience all these things? So Elijah is now pondering, reflecting on God. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights on, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? It sounds a little odd, right? It took him, we don't know exactly, but it didn't take him 40 days to travel from Jezreel all the way down to Beersheba and then some. But now, from that wilderness to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, God's mountain, it took him 40 days. So this time, He's no longer in fear, but now he's contemplating, most likely praying, meditating on the word, reflecting all the things that God allowed him to experience past three and a half years. So he's walking, but not for his life. So now he's walking, pondering. It's taking him 40 days to make that trip. It should have been like four days because he's praying. He's meditating. This is how Elijah is growing before our eyes. Past three and a half years, yes, he served so faithfully, but did he really grow that? Yeah, he grew, but not, we don't know how much. But not enough to stand up against Queen Jezebel. He ran for his life. But now, the 40 days, as he's walking, as he's spending time with God, praying to God, Reflecting on God's messages. This is time he's growing in the Lord, in solitude, out in the wilderness. 
This is something that we have to experience too at times. Whether we like it or not, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Sometimes we will win, sometimes we will lose. Like Michael said, the victor has won. It's done. It's done deal. Jesus won the battle of the war already, but we are still engaged in this battle. And sometimes we will lose. Sometimes we will ask questions. We have some doubts. But then those are the times when we could realign ourselves and spend some solitude, alone time with God. Verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? There was you know, wind, there was an earthquake, there was fire. So he thought, well, God is going to talk to me now? So there's a, you know, he would go out and look and look and look, nothing. And finally, in a gentle whisper, God is talking to him. Are we close enough to God to hear his gentle whisper? Does God, you know, you know does, does he need to perform miracles, something profound in your life to get your attention? Are you close enough to God where when he whispers, oh yeah, you could hear God? So we could assume how Elijah has grown so much. After the meltdown, he's now growing in God's grace. Folks, a lot of times, right after spiritual victory, it's a time when we have to really be careful because that's when we go other way. Like Elijah. Not all the time, but often where we kind of have to be careful as we experience victory in God's grace. I had some wake-up moments. I came to our church too. Because, you know, Carmel is just so nice. I'm just amazed, even now. In Indiana, there's a city like Carmel. It's, just, uh, I, I, it's, a, it's a compliment. I'm just amazed how beautiful this place is. Even today, you know, um, I live off 161, and I'm coming down on Keystone. And right as I hit Keystone, things opened up, and this winter scenery, you know, Trees covering snow, and then there's a you know dark road ahead of me, and that contrast somehow just made me like, wow, this is beautiful. So I'm amazed at this place, and maybe because of that, I forgot that I was engaged in a spiritual battle. So after I came here, I had some of those wake up moments. Well, I forgot. I'm in a spiritual battle. We're all in a spiritual battle. So we all need to be careful. We all need to encourage one. We all need to help each other so we could fight this fight and overcome together and rejoice and build testimonies. But we cannot forget that we are engaged in this spiritual battle. Otherwise, we will have those wake-up calls. The way we need to overcome this is through daily devotion with God. I'm not saying Elijah was not talking to God. You see, you could still talk to God. You could still engage in God's ministry and still not walk with God. It's possible. I think that's what Michael was trying to say, to abide in God. As we serve, we need to learn to abide in God. 
as we serve, busy, 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 we need to learn to rest in God so we could have energy to press forward. Jesus did. He will often go off to be by himself so he could pray to be strengthened. The vine and the branches, that, you know, that parable, it says we need to abide in, abide in God. And then as Jesus explains this, he goes, abide in God, remain in me, and my words. And we need to spend time in the word every day. Time in prayer. I love that. 24-7, we need to borrow that from <laughs> IHA and make ours 24-7. Praying for each other 24-7. And then we need to keep our faith. The fighting spirit. That God is all I need. That God is all we need. Yeah, we would do this and this to be part of God's salvation plan, to expand God's kingdom. But at the end of the day, we just need God and God alone. And that's the faith that God has given us. We need to exercise this. Let me end with this um, st- story. So uh, when I was in the Bay Area, <coughs> uh, the, the youth group, they went to the c- central California. You know, there's a forest fire, wildfire every year. So that particular year, the Southern Baptists, they were um, sending the disaster relief, that group, they have that kind of group, so they would send trucks where they have a portable showers and portable bathrooms and uh, you know, a, lot, a lot of youth groups in, all over the California, they, they sent their kids to help. So we would clean up you know, the, the dead trees and burnt trees and you know, things like that. So anyway, in the spare time, we did some you know, fun stuff too. Kayaking and canoe riding and rock repelling. I've never done this. So I, I tagged along and then when they said, oh, they're going to go rock repelling, I was like, hmm. I need to try this. So I went peg along. And there's a you know, long line, you know. And then the idea is that one by one you go down, and then you, we do this several times, hopefully. You know, we only have a couple of hours, so we're looking forward to this. And I'm like maybe four or five people away from um, the, the turn. So I'm, I'm waiting. I'm eagerly. I'm like, there's a butterfly in my stomach because I've never done this. Like, man, I don't want to embarrass get embarrassed in front of the youth, you know, so I need to make sure I do, I do this right. So I'm observing. It's like, mm, how do they do this? How do they get harnessed and then repel? I'm watching all this. So there's a, a, a group from different church, an adult volunteer. You could tell he was not happy with this. Somehow he, like, was forced to be there. <laughs> so he's letting his, you know, kids go, and they say, oh, come on, Mr. So-and-so, you could do it. Oh, no, 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 I'm afraid. And then finally he got talked into it. He goes, okay. So I'm like, you know, hope he will go down faster, you know, my turn. And then he comes up there. He got everything harnessed and he's looking down. The the trick is you have to lean back. So your leg has to become almost parallel and then you push off. You know, you could walk down, but, you know, you could push off and you go down like six feet or so, and then you push again, you go down like six feet, you push. So if you do like four or five times, you'll you be on the bottom. So there's instructor on top, instructor on the bottom. So, you know, we're doing this. But this guy is visibly 
unhappy with the situation. He's afraid. Like, I could see the sweat coming down, you know, because <laughs> I'm close enough to see that. And he's like, now there's no turning back. He's all harnessed, and we are waiting for him to go down so we could go. So he's like, <sighs> you know, he was struggling. A minute goes by. Like, he can't move. You know, when you're so fearful, you can't. Like, he's doing this, but he's not moving. We're all waiting for him. <laughs> Initially, we felt bad for him. After five minutes, we're like, dude, just go down. <laughs> we're like, we need to go. But so he was struggling. And, uh, my goodness. And then he tried. But then, you know, he got out of sequence instead of letting go and jumping. And something happened. And then next thing we know, he's upside down. <laughs> so imagine, he was in fear, right, to begin with. Now he's upside down. And no kidding. He was crying. I mean, then, you know, of course, you had to feel bad for the guy. But, you know, on the bottom, they're holding on to him, so he doesn't need to. But he's like white knuckle stuff, right? Because he's upside down. <laughs> anyway, so we're watching this. And thankfully, he was able to go down. You know, the instructor down there, they, he did this, and he went down safely. And then we went, and, and you know, it was a good experience. I think sometimes our spiritual life is like that. Things we're comfortable with, no big deal. We've done it before, and that doesn't look too bad, so we get involved. But sometimes God says, repel. Like, I've never done this. I don't like heights. Are you kidding me? Why am I? I'm I'm not the right person. Get someone else. That's what Moses did, Remember? My, my brother Aaron, he's a good speaker, yeah, not me. But God said, no, you, I want you to go. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. But we need to respond to that call. And when we do, he promises us, he will teach us, he will equip us. He will show us. In fact, he will go before us. When that happens, he gets glorified because we know then this is not my thing. I couldn't have done it. This is your thing. God, thank you. And I hope we are eagerly waiting for this type of opportunity. We could either do two things, spiritual meltdown, hang upside down, or we respond so we learn how to do it and enjoy the journey together. We have each other. Sometimes, yes, we'll make fool out of ourselves, but then we're family. We support one another. We get back up. We press on, all the while answering God's call so we could experience new things. It's going to become our testimony. And I hope CCCI will create many, many testimonies that we could share with our neighbors. Father, thank you so much for loving us and calling us to be part of your ministry. Father, we, we know it is possible. We have experienced it, and we know it's going to come, come again. Some type of meltdown, some type of struggle we're going to face, we're going to be challenged. But thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. You reach down to us, and we know you will do it again and again. You came to us while we were yet sinners, when we were unlovable, and yet you 
sent your son to die for us. We have no doubt. We have assurance, O oh Lord, that you will be with us as we strive to abide in you. May you continue to provide our needs and allow us to grow in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray.